couple of weeks away, enjoying our winter holidays. And with us coming back, here's a bit of news. This this podcast right here is also coming to you on our brand new YouTube channel. So if you're not familiar with the YouTube channel just quite yet, you can go over and subscribe to us on at Man City underscore MEN. I don't know if it's an at or a website. I'm not a YouTube person, but one of them, I'm sure you'll be able to locate it and see our ugly mugs um, in, you know, in living colour. But those ugly mugs do belong to myself, Dan Murphy, and also joining me today, as ever, is Mr. Joe Bray. Joe, how's it going? Not too bad, thank you. Uh, I was very, very happy to get back to domestic football. I've enjoyed mm-hmm. the World Cup, but there's something about domestic football and we it, we were treated to a, a fantastic game between City and Liverpool. If, mm. if you can't get up for a game like that, then to, to get you back into the swing of things, I think... I don't think football's for you. Well, I must say, you, you got lucky that being your first domestic game back because some of us were treated to the dry, the dire affair of United 2, Burnley nil. which let me tell you, half, <laughs> that, um, half an hour into that trudge, you were kind of on your knees to go back to the World Cup. You know, we we, we were away um, during the, the last stage of the World Cup, so we missed quite a lot of talking points. I don't think... Any of us will be wanting to go back to our predictions, although I do think we both called the winner <laughs> spot on. Um, uh, you know, Messi's tournament, we'll get onto it later, but you know, at least we did avoid the, the heartbreaking England chat. I don't think I've still fully recovered, but you know, we may, we may touch on the World Cup a little bit later on. But first things first, as you say, Joe, club football is back and it did come back with a bang with Manchester City getting past Liverpool and the first time this season, no less, in a 3-2 thriller at the Etihad. I think when this, this round was first drawn, it, it was quite an intriguing one because we didn't, we didn't really know what the teams would be like. Obviously, we saw potentially so many players still um, in Qatar and maybe not coming back. But as it transpired, both teams, you know, injuries aside, and Liverpool had quite a few, um, you know, Diogo Jota and Luis Diaz and Curtis Jones, quite a few notable um, absentees on the injury front. But otherwise, these were pretty much strongest 11s, give or take. You know, I think City were only without um, Edison due to flight issues, I believe. And then Julian Alvarez is obviously still, um, well, probably still recovering from the three-day bender who's been on with the rest of the Argentina squad. I don't think anyone anyone begrudges him the parties he's been having over in Buenos Aires. Um, yeah, it, it ended up being two strong teams, maybe with a hint of um, experiments, and it ended up making a, a really, really exciting game. Yeah, well, before the World Cup, Pep said himself and Jurgen Klopp would have to play and some physios as well and half of the academy team. But as it turned out, it was pretty much the the lineups you would probably expect from a Carabao Cup game. Both teams used it to play a couple of youngsters, a few fringe players, um, and a it, it was a it was a good game. There was a lot of, of first team players, a lot of senior players as well. Um, as you, you mentioned, Edison, there we were told Pep said in his press conference that he's delayed by flight issues, and then he hopped off the bunch the the bus and he was on the bench. So um, he was never really going to start because it's a, a cup competition. So Stefan Ortega quite rightly got the nod, but um, no, it was it was a fairly strong team. Guardiola did say before the game that he would have preferred not to play players like Nathan Ake, Amerik Laporte, um, his defenders like um, Akanji and and Rodri. But then on the other hand, he could have played Sergio Gomez, who's had six weeks off and, and is, should be fresh as a fiddle. Um, but he put Gomez on the bench. I'm not sure what that says about his chances going forward, but it was Ake at 
at left back. And yeah, it was a really interesting contest. And in, in, I mean, from the first 15 seconds when Erling Haaland was was sent through, it sort of set the tone. And then within, I think, 65 seconds, Darwin Nunes had gone up the other end and uh, had a good chance himself. Uh, one of many chances that he uh, seemed to aim for the corner flag rather than the bottom corner. But uh, City won't complain about his wayward finishing. Um, but yeah, it, it was a really good game. And, and the fact that when one goal was scored, another goal was scored really quickly. It's what you want to see when these two teams meet. They've got so many good attacking players. I get in the Premier League why you would have a few. Uh, you, you might be a bit more conservative and a bit more cautious, but in these cup games, you've got nothing to lose by going for it. And no, it, it was a, a really good attacking display. You had Kevin De Bruyne clearly with a point to prove. Erling Haaland put any fitness doubts to bed when he, well, in that 15 second move, when he when he ran through on goal, but he, he had his goal within nine minutes. And now I think all in all, Guardiola will be quite pleased with how his players have come back on one hand and then how they performed uh, on the other. And, and to get through to the next round, they've beaten Chelsea and Liverpool now in the cup. And the, it's it's opening up for them now to, to have another go at, at reclaiming their Carabao Cup crown. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's City's, it's City's tournament. They've knocked the holders out and they're well, you know, they're well on the way to on the match to the final. Southampton in the quarterfinals, I believe. Um, you know, the field's opening up. I believe only United are still kind of still in there. Um, it would offer really serious opposition. So um, certainly an intriguing to see how the kind of tournament plays out. And I think what's kind of promising for um, City, you know, to beat Liverpool 3-2, regardless of the kind of the teams here and there. And obviously it wasn't, wasn't the sign of levens you'd expect to see and um if the sides met in the Premier League. But and it's easy to forget at this point, but thirty eight, thirty nine days ago when City last played, they did lose. They lost to Brentford and they were in mm-hmm. quite um a downward spiral. They actually lost to Liverpool. That's what kicked off kind of the poor bit of form. And they did well after that defeat to Liverpool, that narrow defeat to bounce back with wins over Leicester and uh, I want to say Fulham and there was another team in there, Brighton. But all of those games, mm-hmm. they were quite narrow. The Leicester and Fulham were both um, late wins, goals from um, a penalty and a free kick. And Brighton gave City a lot of trouble for the first half. And they went, they eventually won three one thanks to Haaland, of course. But it was um, sticky moments for a time. And then, of course, they went on to lose to Brentford. So, uh, and there were some Champions League games where the performances weren't the best in there. So, City haven't been hadn't been at the best for a little while um, leading up to the break. And it. For all the teams, it actually came at a good time for them. You looked at Arsenal, who you know have come out of the World Cup having lost their star striker in Gabriel Jesus. We of course wish him all the best um, and get back to fitness as soon as possible. But um, you felt like Arsenal had the momentum in the kind of the budding title race, and their momentum got halted with the World Cup. Whereas it came as a, it came as a good time for City and to come back after that break. Um, you know, a lot of players of City suffered quite um quite damaging blows and uh, you imagine quite stinging exits to the World Cup. But they've kind of come back in here now uh, against Liverpool, a strong team, um, and played really well. And I think, as I say, that I think the manner of the performance might be even more um, kind of, you know, beneficial than the actual victory itself because to kind of get back to playing well against a big team after, you know, the defeat to Brentford's hardly, you can hardly remember it at this point, but it was kind of the Nadir, the nadir of City's... Um, recent downturn in form so to bounce back you know in match form straight away is obviously a a positive thing for Pep to have yeah and I think he's been saying all season about we don't know how the players will return after the World Cup it's a completely unknown sort of uh, way you you can't plan for example how how to sort of react from a mid-season World Cup because it's never happened before Um, but I I think looking at the the performances of, of some players there yesterday, 
I, I think he'll be pleasantly surprised with with how well they did. A lot of them got through ninety minutes. I think they ended up with eight players who'd been at the World Cup on the pitch at, at full time. Um, it probably helps having Kevin De Bruyne and Ilkay Gundogan go out in the group stage, so they've had a little bit more time. Um, the, I mean, there were probably some doubts over Erling Haaland's fitness. He, he was struggling with injury for quite a few weeks before the break. Uh, I think he might have only played once for Norway in, in their couple of friendlies and then he returned to training a little bit later when the squad went to Abu Dhabi. But he, he looked like he'd, he was back to his best and he was you know, going into tackles and closing people down and he was really, really up for that game. Uh, so I, I think he put any any concerns to one side. Um, yeah, there was maybe at the end of the game, there was a couple of players looked like they'd just picked up a little knocks and little limps and Manuel Akanji went off and I think Nathan Ake had a bit of a, uh, he, he looked like he had a bit of a limp, but he, that's probably to be expected. It's, it's City versus Liverpool. There's, no one's going to be pulling out of tackles, are they? And they have been playing at the, at the World Cup until a, a week or two ago. Um, but no, generally, I think Guardiola, he's been worried all season, but the fact that he played such a strong team and could bring on the players that he did uh, is is a positive. And of course, after the game, he, he did say Ruben Diaz has picked up an injury, but if, for, for, to have 16 players go to the World Cup and only one return with an injury is probably as, as good as he could have hoped for. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, let's kind of get into the game because, you know, it, it only took 10 minutes for normality to resume. And uh, as you say, Erling Haaland, just absolutely lethal in the penalty area. Um, straight, it was a weird finish. It was kind of just like high in the air and just turned it in as he as he does. Um, as you kind of touched on there, he, he was playing. He played against Brentford, didn't he? And he's, he, he was playing in those games, but he clearly wasn't moving quite as freely as you'd like to see. And I think, as, as I was saying, the break came at such a good time for City because it just gave him a chance to have a breather, um, pet to go back to the drawing board, kind of reassess what's going on. And crucially for Haaland, you know, whereas Arsenal have now, without Jesus for I think three months now, who's pretty integral to their style of play, and they don't really have much um, in a way of a, a suitable backup, City got the chance to have Haaland basically have a mid-season break to get back to his, well, what looks to be his back to his full fitness. I know there's no guarantee that he'll stay injury-free for the rest of the the campaign. As, as Guardiola has kind of said before, he was surprised at how at how well he had done for the first couple of months of the season, how he hadn't picked up any injuries because they were such a feature of his time at Dortmund. You know, it's a, I, think, I think we touched on it when he first signed. Like The only problem could be for City is that they build so much around Haaland as its obvious benefits when he's on the pitch, because he's just an absolute freak of nature when he's scoring, but he's kind of, the the injury proneness he has shown so far in his young career, um, you lose that, you build everything around it, you take out such an integral piece, it can be difficult to replace. So for him, you know, for, to get the opportunity to rest him, to come, um, you know, to really um, refresh, it was, was it a foot injury, I believe, you know, to kind of mm. let that rest up properly, heal properly and not kind of rush back. I say he was away with Norway, hopefully working on his fitness with City's, City's fitness coaches went over there with him, didn't they, as well? Uh, or physios, whichever it was. And to come back and score within 10 minutes and, you know, could have scored within 15 seconds, certainly bodes well for the, the coming um, grueling period. Yeah, no, I think he set the tone in those early stages. He, he, he I think there was one in, instance after that first chance where he'd, he'd raced through. There was just, Liverpool were just passing the ball around and he ran about 10 or 15 yards and just... and just closed down and forced an error and he set the tone. He, he got the crowd up. He got a couple of players to join him and, and close Liverpool in. And 
we don't always see that from Haaland. Sometimes he just stays where he is and, and waits to, to finish stuff off. Um, and then, you know, the ball comes in. It was a, a rare left-footed swinging ball from, from Kevin De Bruyne. But um, we were looking at, I mean, in, in real time, we were looking at the defence. And then when you see a replay, Joe Gomez has had an absolute shocker because Haaland's on the penalty spot when the ball comes in. Gomez is on the six-yard line behind uh, in, in front of Haaland. And in the space of the of the ball coming in, Haaland's managed to dart all the way around Gomez and, and put it in. And Gomez has just stood still. And if you've been, what where have you been all season? If you don't know Haaland's going to do that and, and make those movements around you at the last minute and just stick his long legs out. Um, I'm not, that makes it sound a far easier finish than it was. But as, as good as it was movement and a finish from Haaland, I, I think he really took advantages of, of some poor defending there. But yeah, all in all, it was a, a good performance from Haaland. He, he had a couple more efforts and uh, I think he was substituted on around 70, 75 minutes. So I'd imagine that's to preserve his fitness. City had been managing his fitness all um, all season, really, since he signed. And he, he's been given a bit more time after a break to, to ease his way back in. And it seemed, apart from the, the break that he had when he was injured, it seems to be paying off. And what, what's that now? 24 goals for the season. So not too bad going. Even if he misses a few games, he's... They'd have taken that hands down at the start of the season, wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know, and you know, certainly back onto uh, business as usual with him bagging so soon. But kind of speaking of bad defending, Liverpool equalised um, shortly afterwards, about um, ten minutes later, and it was it came from quite you know James Milner throwing it back to two thousand and seven, just somehow kind of make him tricky in his way into the box, getting past the, a defence that was kind of nowhere to be seen, and passing it across to uh, Carvalho, Fabio Carvalho, who. Um, who tucks in a nice finish. Um, I think Ortega's been good um, so far this season. I don't think he covered himself in much glory um, in this game in general, um, especially for the goals. But the, the defending was quite a strange one here. It was quite um, unusually passive. And I think we've been kind of missaying that um, quite a bit this season. They're not quite as solid at the back as they usually are. No, and there was, there was a move about four or five minutes before where... I think I think it was Milner brought it forward and played in Darwin Nunes and he hit the post um, and the flag went up because he was well offside. But Guardiola was absolutely furious. He turned around and was waving his arms and you know having a go at his coaches and he will have been absolutely furious that exactly the same move happened about five minutes later and it was just too easy for for Liverpool as you say the balls brought forward from defence and. Milner was just given an easy, easy ball across to Carvalho, who had so much space on around the penalty spot. And I think City's formation was interesting. It was a back four, but with Rico Lewis doing that inverted role, and he, he did it very well. But that then left a back three of Laporta, Kanji, and Ake. And Liverpool did do quite well to exploit the gaps in between those three fullbacks. They did it with that Nunes chance. City didn't learn, and they did it again and scored. And I, I think as effective as that formation was with City going forward and with Rico Lewis impacting the game, I think the back three probably didn't cover themselves in glory. And I'm sure we'll get on to the second Liverpool goal. But again, Liverpool exploited that. And I, I doubt they'll score many easier goals because City just left so much space for them to to get through and, and pass it in the back of the net. It's a good finish by Carvalho, I think, but... Uh, I think Guardiola will be fairly unhappy with that, especially mm-hmm. given that exactly the same move happened a couple of minutes before. 
Yeah, we certainly will get to Liverpool second, but first we have to get to City second because just <laughs> after just after the break, City retook the lead. I thought this was a, an excellent goal. Rodri's pass, um, a really sublime, flo- um, floated, lofted pass over to Mares, who um, takes the ball down with a brilliant touch. You know, as as he brings the ball down, he also like tricks the defender to cut inside simultaneously, and then bends a really typical Mares finish into the far corner. And I think this was really needed for Mares and for City. I, I wrote earlier this week that with um, Foden and Grealish kind of coming back from England not you know they came in they were on the bench for this game and both came on but they, they weren't going to start here and they you know might not be at the best physically after not playing much during um, the World Cup both of them um, oh, Foden played a lot sorry but Grealish was quite quite a periphery figure in Gareth Southgate's team um, Mares is going to be put on with Alvarez gone as well um, Alvarez sorry with Alvarez gone as well Mares is going to be quite important he's the, the winger who's been there for the last four weeks Um He's going to play, you'd expect, at least this game, which he did, and probably Leeds coming up next week. They're going to need him to kind of get back to approaching his best because last season he was brilliant, top scorer with 22, already well surpassed by Haaland this year. But he was top scorer last year. He earned a new contact off the back of it. And and this season afterwards, his, his performance levels have taken a noticeable dip. He had slipped down um, Guardiola's pecking order, um, kind of got gone into that position what Sterling was in last season of only being picked for the... The lesser games, the the European matches that um, you know, at you know the UFC Copenhagen's and the like, and your your, your games against it, your Bournemouth, so you know the lower teams in the Premier League. He was on that second tier of attackers, and he's going to need to kind of refine his form, and he's probably going to be booking back up into the style eleven for a couple of weeks. So to kind of literally show vintage Mares by kind of coming in scoring such a typical goal a goal that every defence should be privy to by now but like a, like just like Aaron Robin made a career of sprinting and cutting inside it doesn't matter if you know what he's going to do if you can't stop him you can't stop him that's all too it makes it almost makes Mares' skill more impressive that even though everyone knows what he's going to do he can still do it and still run foot defenders so this was a, a promising sign for Mares I'd say I remember watching him I think it was the Borussia Dortmund match um, the, the late 2-1 and he just just looked quite uninspiring. That that spark we used to seeing was just kind of um, a bit snuffed out. But he certainly looked a lot more lively here. Yeah, and I, I'm just looking at his stats because yes, he's been sort of second choice, but a lot of City's recent games have been where this, those second choice players have been playing. I'm thinking they played Chelsea, they played Sevilla when there was nothing riding on it, um, Dortmund where they didn't really need to win. He's got three goals in his last three games for City and. Five in his last ten, I think. Um, if I'm doing my maths right, so that's not too bad from from a winger and someone who's not getting as many chances and, and as many starts. So maybe he's he's reacting to the criticism earlier in the season, and Guardiola did have a go at him and say he's not in the best condition and he needed to be better. And yeah, maybe he's taken that on board. And if he's used this break to his advantage, he he did look very sharp and. Uh, he was up against Andy Robertson, who's also had a break, but he looked a lot faster and quicker and sharper than Robertson. Um, and yeah, his goal was absolutely brilliant. We, we, I think we take his first touch for granted, don't we, when a ball that he can just pluck out of the air. But that first touch, he didn't just control it and kill it dead. He, he used it to, like you say, completely take one defender out of the game and, and the finish, you'd you'd back him to, to score that every day of the week. And it capped off quite a... It, it, he didn't have the same sort of impact as De Bruyne or Haaland or or even Rico Lewis, but he didn't really do anything wrong. He was pretty effective. And yeah, like you say, if Alvarez is still out and Grealish and, and Foden need to need a bit of time to, to get back into it, 
maybe Mahrez has, has got a bit of a chance. There's plenty of games coming up and they'll need all the players. So if Mahrez is hitting a bit of form now after a slow start to the season, then City can only benefit. Absolutely, you know, and then this roller coaster game, Liverpool equalised just um, a matter of minutes later. Somehow getting caught out um, again, as we, you know, as you touched on, Lewis, not on, you know, not his fault that he wasn't at a right back position. He was just doing his instructions, but that kind of formation leaving City quite exposed down the right flank, um, which Darwin Nunes uh, kind of exploited um, to his heart content, powered down the flank, and then teed up Mar- um, Mohamed Salah to kind of tap home. Um, I think, you know, as we discussed earlier, there's been a tendency this year where City seems to have sacrificed a bit of defensive solidity to be more, you know, more potent up front. A bit of, I'm not going to say quite Ian Holloway philosophy, but a a bit of, you can score one or two if you want because we will score more than you, which is, you know, has worked pretty well so far. But, Against you know teams they did cost them against Liverpool, they, you know they easily could have not won this game and been out of the tournament. And in a game where it might be a bit more, you know, where Liverpool you know obviously weren't that bothered about losing this in a match where they would be a bit more bothered, be it Champions League or Premier League. I wonder if there's a concern that if Pep does kind of persevere with this sort of formation in the way that City are defending at the minute, um, it might kind of backfire because. You know, eventually scoring more than other teams, regardless of what they do, is all one good until that one day that you don't score more than them, which will usually be in a, a probably a Champions League semi final. No, I say. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, he'd have played that formation in a league game against Liverpool. Let's let's just say that because yes, Rico Lewis was very good, but because he was effectively playing two positions at once, he was running up and down the wing on, on the right flank, but also coming inside and, and linking loads of play. He was sort of caught between those two positions for this move. And it was directly after City had just got through Mahrez. And uh, probably the only thing that Darwin Nunes did right all game was to take advantage of that and run down the line. And I think he dragged Laporte out. So that left Ake one-on-one with Salah in the centre. And they, again, they just completely dragged City's uh, three centre-backs out of position and maybe having a, a solid back forward have prevented that goal or at least prevented the ease of that goal and, and made it a lot harder for, for the ball to get through to, to Salah. So, yeah, again, I don't think uh, Guardiola will be very happy with that. But like you say, if you're going to give Rico Lewis that, that role and, and tell him to push up, then you've got to accept that a consequence of that could be a quick break. And, and to be fair to Liverpool, they uh, they scored two goals on the break fairly clinically. And that's what a team like Liverpool will do. You, you can play as well as you as you want, but they're always capable of scoring. Just look at the league game. It, it probably should have been a draw that game, but one break, a player of Salah's quality and, and they come away with the three points. So, yeah, I think, I think all in all, the approach of uh, we'll score one more goal than you paid off yesterday in the cup but maybe it won't pay off in the league in uh, I think it's April when, when Liverpool visit the Etihad I, I can't see the same tactics again I don't think Guardiola will do that Yeah absolutely I mean let's kind of talk about Rico Lewis I said the the goals came down his side but they weren't necessarily his fault it was more the tactical position mm-hmm. of him but that was his second 
um, start City after some, um, I believe, second or oh, third. My apologies. Um, both games in the Euro in the Europe League in the Carabao Cup against Chelsea as well as Liverpool and against Sevilla in the Champions League. Um, he also played 35 minutes uh, against Copenhagen in a 5-0 win coming off the bench. And has had three other Premier League cameos against Southampton, Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth. It's, you know, it's, it's only 18 still. And he's completely bypassed the EDS pretty much. He was actually the, um, the under-18s captain last season when they won the league and only played a couple of times for the EDS. I think it's kind of gone underappreciated how his kind of meteoric rise to the fist team, because I'd say he's pretty much nailed himself third-choice fullback at this position. He's clearly fancied over um, Sergio Gomez. And Guardiola was absolutely full of praise for him after the game, named, named him the man of the match. And, you know, we've talked about the defensive frailties, um, but to be able to play that to you know, th- that role, Jao Casella, it took him a year to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. It, it looked like his career at City was going to end after a few months. Um, uh, initially, he was left out of the, the squad for the Carabao Cup final victory against Aston Villa because he was just nowhere near it. And it took him, you know, as it tends to do with attackers, it took him uh, at least a season working under Guardiola week in, week out, day in, day out, to get a custom of his methods, really kind of get to grips with what he what was being asked with him. And Lewis has come up and he's doing that role to near perfection already. And he's, he's bloody 18. It's, it's, it's remarkable what he's doing. And only just 18. I think he, he, his 18th birthday was in November. So, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And I, I was saying before the game, I probably wouldn't have started him. I, I was expecting maybe Manuel Akanji to be at right back just given the quality of Liverpool's attackers, but he, every player who he was up against, he he, uh, he stood up firm. And for all the, the good tactical work he was doing, I think his his uh, passing and uh, positional work and possession work in the defensive midfields position was brilliant. You had players like De Bruyne and Gundogan and Rodri firing balls at him with three men on him. And he'd just flick it around the corner and, and calmly play his way out, way out of trouble. And you, you, you forgot that he was an 18-year-old. Um, and at one point, uh, Liverpool moved Mo Salah. Towards the end of the first half, they moved Mo Salah over to Lewis's side just to pen him back because he was having such an influence in coming inside into that midfield. And I mean, in the second half, they, they abandoned that tactic, but that shows just how, how influential he was. And the I mean, Guardiola trusts him. The players trust him. There was a, another one in the second half when Salah was bursting forward. And I think Lewis might have given the ball away to allow it, but he raced back and was a, a perfectly time sliding tackle. And if he hadn't done that, he'd have probably been given a card or Salah would have been through on goal. So it was a really good play of defensive work as well. Um, when he was in that right back position, not a lot did get past him. I, th- I think the only times that Liverpool had joy on that side was when Lewis was switching between the positions and, and just caught in the wrong place. But no, it was it was a fantastic performance and, and the fans absolutely love him. At full time, he just collapsed to the floor because he put such an effort in uh, and you can't really blame him. But you see the teams he's played against and played well against. He's scored in the Champions League to become the youngest player to score on his first start. He's put a, ma- a man of the match performance against Liverpool, according to his manager. He stopped Chelsea with all their very, very good attackers. And even in pre-season, he came on and was fearless against Bayern Munich and jinked through half of the defence and, and hit the post. He's he's just got no fear. And you get a lot of these players who come in and you can see they're trying to do the right thing. And Lewis isn't like that. And the fact that Guardiola said, we've got this player as a, as a City right back for the next decade, 
I've not heard him talk about a young player like that for a long time. He, he normally tries to downplay it, but the fact that he's so impressed with Lewis and I think they took him on the preseason tour just to make up the numbers. Not not to make up the numbers, but just because he was a right back from the U team and probably the only the, the most senior right back of the the academy. But he made such an impression that he's played his way into to becoming a, a senior player now. And yeah, he's I I the, the rise is just remarkable and you don't see many players do this. I, I think so you need to maybe temper expectations, but if they do it right, if they manage it right, they've got some player on their hands. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that Guardiola knows how to manage young players. I think if we just look at the way Foden's been so deftly handled throughout his kind of his potential stage where everybody was clamouring for him. He never kind of bowed to the pressure to play him. I remember for so long, it was like a meme in about, what, 2019 or so, maybe. It's like, oh, he's coming on for his bleep test. He's only playing the last five minutes. Why not bring him on early? He's 6 nil up. And he was just getting badgered all the time. Go out on loan, send him out on loan, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, he's staying here. He's learning under uh, De Bruyne and David Silva. He's, he couldn't be in a better place. We're using him. And lo and behold, Foden is one of the, the best English players Um one of the best players full stop in, in the game. He's remarkable. And that's all down to, you know, Guardiola's kind of seen his potential as a youngster brought him through and it's kind of mirrored his old stay at sea. Um, and I have no doubt that he knows exactly how to do the same thing for Lewis. So it's quite, you know, he's 18, I think, let alone City. I think England might have a, a new right back um, in the offing. You know, I know they've got so many options there as it is, but <laughs> they've, got an, they've got another there, that's for sure. But, you know, that's... Maybe he is a star of today, but he's certainly a star for the future. But to say about the stars of today, I think it, you know, we've gone quite a long time without really heaping praise on Kevin De Bruyne because I didn't think he had the uh, the best World Cup, and that was hard to you know it was hard for him to do so in such a kind of putrid Belgian team. But back uh, back at home, back in uh, back in blue, and it's just business as usual. I know we said that for Haaland, but the same thing here. He set up the first goal, as you say, with a, a kind of different cross than we than we used to. Um, uh, kind of a left-footed one from the left side. And his, his second assist for the third and winning goal was also from the left side. But this was a well-worked shot, corner. He made an angle, a better angle for himself, then delivered a beautiful ball to the back post where Nathan Ake powered home the header for the winner. 58th minute, you know, thought we may, may have been thinking there'd be more goals in it at that stage with over half an hour left to play. But that's how the game finished, a 3-2 victory. And De Bruyne, another two assists, that must be at least 15 or so now, I'd say, but you've got the numbers to hand. Have I got it right? Oh, get on that. Um, you know, <laughs> um, you know, if Romelu Lukaku could score from two yards out, he'd have had about five assists at the World Cup. So it's not as if he wasn't still doing those brilliant passes for Belgium, but you kind of put him in the team where everyone knows where to go for his runs and, you know, it's a cohesive view. And it is the downside to international football at the end of the day. But, he didn't have the best World Cup. He's come back and he's already, I think I said before, when he was injured for a time and he missed out on so much of the 2019-20 the season, I want to say, um, maybe 18-19 actually, when he missed on so much that season, he came back the year after and just played like a man possessed, a man looking to make up for lost time. And now it feels like it feels like um, negativity really spurns him on. And to have such a poor World Cup, I think he's going to come back now and just absolutely rip it up. Yeah, and like that, you mentioned those two assists, they were brilliant, but he could have had a couple more. There was an absolutely brilliant ball from about midway through the uh, is the Liverpool half in, in the first half that Ake was unlucky not to score. I, I would say, by the way, uh, Kelleher in the Liverpool goal was really, really good. He, he kept the score down for, for Liverpool and made a few really important saves like that. Um, there was another one where De Bruyne was 
three on the right and he had Haaland running into the uh, around the six yard line but he's pulled it back to Ilkay Gundogan who, who saw his shot saved so he could have had more assists if, I, if I've done my maths right he's got 15 assists for the season now and that is one more than he got in the whole of last season and he's done it in 20 fewer appearances so he's well on course to uh, challenge his own sort of joint record for most assists in the Premier League season but the fact that he's he's got a player like Haaland and the, all the movement around around him when when Haaland isn't there, uh, I, I think he's he's he is back to his best. But like you say, there, there was a doubt that he'd come back from the World Cup, and it was probably quite a scarring experience. And he was at the centre of all the controversy with the Belgium camp and his comments that they were too old to win the World Cup. And I mean, speaking to him before the World Cup, he he was aware that it could have been his last major tournament, so he will be really disappointed for that. But it, by all accounts, he was really fired up against Girona on, on Saturday and yeah as, as I say he could have had four assists and maybe even a goal himself against against Liverpool and yeah he, he was very very good and I think he earned some some deserved praise from Guardiola and uh, while he didn't stop in the mix zone after the game he did walk past and he looked absolutely knackered so he put everything on the line and uh, if, if he's motivated for uh, the you know these fixtures and, and the end of the season, and uh, wants to win more trophies to make up for his disappointing World Cup experience. Then City have, have got a dangerous attack with him and Haaland ready and fit and firing for the second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know, I know I've you know defensive frailties aside, and the odd knock. Hopefully, everyone's okay after that. It was just a bit of rustiness, a bit of fatigue, perhaps. Other than that, a really, really positive uh, day for City. But there is one. One drawback, and that is the, the surprising lack of Calvin Phillips in the squad. I actually thought he may start this game just because he's only played 54 minutes of uh, football for City since his transfer. Um, was it uh, managed to make the World Cup? Did come on in one or two matches, but didn't have that starting role that he had in the Euros. Lost that out, you know, and no surprise to Jude Bellingham. But he wasn't involved um, here, which I thought was quite not even on the bench. It was quite surprising and quite obviously very worrying. Um, Guardiola didn't seem pleased about his um his, the condition he's returned to um from Qatar. Yeah, it was quite interesting that that Guardiola said that because he wasn't in the squad. Phillips, which I mean, he's he's had his injury problems, hasn't he? But a Carabao Cup game, you would have thought even off the bench would have been an opportunity to get him some more. And he, we we thought that having recovered from that shoulder injury and, and surgery and made a couple of appearances for England that. He would be back and, and fit and firing, but uh, no. Guardiola said he's not in the condition to train, so not even to play. But he's not in. He's not re- recovered in a condition to train, and, and that's referring to sort of fitness issues. So that is a little bit worrying for City. Uh, he's had a lot of time off. Obviously, injuries and uh, surgeries does probably take a lot out of you, but he was clearly fit enough to come off the bench for England at, at the World Cup and he was training every day with them. So the fact that he's he's returned not in a, a suitable condition for Guardiola is is a bit worrying, but it, it might be a sort of a reality check. It's not been an ideal start to his City career. I mean, we, we spoke before, Guardiola said very similar about Riyad Mahrez earlier in the season, that his condition wasn't wasn't right to be playing a lot and it's worked with Mahrez. If if Phillips need the needs these struggles and these sort of warnings in public to say, no, listen, if you want to be a city player and, and want to play for us, then you've got to be at the peak of, of your condition, then it, it 
could be a good thing long term. But um, no, it's it was quite a, an eye opening statement for for Guardiola to say that he's not even in a condition to train. You, you'd re- you'd rarely hear that uh, about a Premier League player, and especially one who's just been training every day at, for his country at the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, worrying. Hopefully, it'll be um, you know something to spur him on to get back in because obviously a grueling fixture. Um, period coming up, and City will need all they can get. You know, they started off, uh, couldn't have started off with a much harder fixture against Liverpool in the return, and it doesn't get much lighter after this. It's a grueling fixture period coming up for City. Um, yeah, just this month, well, next month, I suppose, in January, you have um, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea in the FA Cup, that a few days afterwards, Southampton now in the League Cup, United, then Tottenham, then Wolves, and Tottenham again, and then into February, you've got. Um, at the first fixture with Arsenal, of course. But before all that, on Wednesday is a trip to Leeds United. Now, Leeds hasn't been nearly as hard as a place to go for City as it was on the first time they went there since they returned. It was a 2-2 draw, wasn't it, back in um, 2019? I believe that was a great game with the Elson mm-hmm. charge. City have had a quite a bit more fortune against them since then. But, uh, you know... Again, it's impossible to predict how these games are going to go. I saw Leeds got battered in a friendly with Monaco a couple of days ago and they've had their ups and downs under Jesse March. But how do you kind of see this match going and how do you see the team kind of shaping up? Do you think he may go for a similar one, given the English players might not be at full fitness yet or whatever? Or do you reckon back to business, Walker and Cancelo in, Bernardo in, Foden, Grealish, etc. and so on? Um, well, about obviously, we'll have had a few more days to train. He, I mean, he did say before the game, didn't he, that the the players who had had, I think, four days training since the World Cup, he would have preferred not to play them. But most of them came through relatively unscathed. Um, I mean, this time of the year, there's a lot of get, games and not many days to play them. Um, it's it's Leeds on on the twenty eighth and Everton on the thirty first. So I'd imagine between those two games there'll be a fair bit of rotation. Maybe Erling Haaland will start both of them and come off in the second half. Given that Julian Alvarez probably won't be back before the new year, I think was the update from from Guardiola. And even if he is, he'll need a few days to to get back up to speed, which is uh, entirely understandable. I would expect the fullbacks, yeah, like you say, to be. Walker and, and Cancelo, both were there last night, didn't come on, so they've had a bit more rest. A couple of, of the the uh, the Portuguese and English players came off the bench and, and those 15-20 minutes will have done them probably quite, quite a bit of good. I, th- I think it will be a difficult game for City, but at this stage of the season, they can't look at teams and think, oh, well, we might not win this. They've got to just go to places like Leeds and welcome Everton and and say we've got to win because there's a far more difficult fixtures coming up. And and Leeds, yes, they've had a lot of time off. They've not had many players at the World Cup, but City should be beating Leeds. And uh, if it did feel like the atmosphere against Liverpool spurred them on and motivated them and sort of didn't let them use the. Uh, uh, the World Cup or any lack of fitness as an excuse and you can bet a, a Christmas game at, at Elland Road will be a similar atmosphere and there won't be any room for excuses there either so City have just got a win, they've got five points to catch on Arsenal, they've got more difficult fixtures and uh, they can't be losing games against Leeds and, and Everton if they want to win the title so I think they've just got to play who they've got, play who the, the fittest players are in each position and and go from there 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was kind of in mist. I did forget that Leeds obviously did beat um, City two seasons ago in that famous 2-1 win when mm-hmm. Stuart Dallas uh, run a mock at the Etihad. But I think my point still stands that City have had the better of it last season. 11-0 aggregate win um, in their two fixtures last term. Uh, how do you see this match uh, shaking out? What's your score prediction? Uh, I can imagine, especially given how City were quite open with the defence against Liverpool, I, I can imagine Leeds getting a goal, but maybe maybe 3-1 to City. I, th- I think it, overall City's quality will, will tell. Absolutely. Well, we'll look forward to that next week. But before we're going to wrap up, let's just touch one final time on the World Cup. Because City do, of course, have a World Cup winner. Well, not in the midst mm-hmm. quite at the moment, because as I say, he's still um, off gallivanting around Argentina, having a jolly good time. Um, incredible scenes over in Buenos Aires. Um, and it was, I think it was what was so great for City, you know, as you know, everyone was uh, aghast that City, not only, you know, the people who were first getting a, a good look at Alvarez for the first time, because he hasn't been a regular star at City just yet, but those having a look, um, seeing him in action for Argentina were aghast that not only do they have Haaland, but they seemingly have um, the second coming of Sergio Aguero as well. And, you know, it was, I think what is so good for Alvarez and uh, by proxy City is that he was such a spurring factor in Argentina's kind of revival. He didn't start in the first two games where they obviously lost to Saudi Arabia in that um, that, that mad opener, probably the first really thrilling game of the tournament. And then they only scraped by Mexico 2-0. And they weren't firing on all cylinders in those opening games. And that was until uh, Scaloni made a few changes going into that second game, uh, that third group game against Poland. And that did include bringing Alvarez in along with... Um, uh, Alexis McAllister, who's had a you know Brighton will be a, rubbing their hands together, no doubt. And uh, who was who was the other one um, that they brought? Enzo Fernandez, that's it. Who ended up winning Young Player of the Tournament, bringing those three young, energetic, uh, lively players in had a transformative effect. And and Alvarez was absolutely excellent after those first two games. He started the next five matches and scored four goals and grabbed a single assist in those matches and crucial crucial goals at that the, um, against Poland, Australia, which they won two one in the end. And, and then two goals in the semi-final against Croatia and an assist involved in all three goals. And then while he didn't score in that kind of remarkable final, um, he played an integral part for 103 minutes of it and was, you know, involved in what, you know, Argentina were brilliant for the first 80 minutes and absolutely dominated it until all the drama unfurled. And he, he was involved in some lovely, lovely bits of attacking play. So it's great for City to see him arrive on such a world stage and knowing that they've got, you know, the next best player coming out of South America. So, you know, secured well and truly um, into his prime. And it was just excellent to see on a, you know, loving football basis, someone doing so great. And of course, as we touched in our little World Cup preview uh, five weeks or so ago, Messi had had his moment, didn't he? Well, yeah, on, on one hand, I think when Alvarez was brought in, Argentina played better because he did all the running in attack, just sort of, stretch defenders and, and allowed Messi the room to, to be as good as he was. He was playing a little bit deeper in, in the opening two games and, and then with Alvarez there, he was allowed to move forward because Alvarez was moving the defenders out of the way, really. And that's sort of a similar role he's done to City, sort of the backup and allowing the the better players, I don't want to say better players, but the, the more sort of influential players to to show their quality. But at the same time, like you say, he just listed those goals that he scored. They were important goals. They were very good goals and on the big stages. And he made a name for himself. He, he wasn't just there to to let Messi do do his thing. He was there to 
to score goals for Argentina and he, he was given the number nine shirt and I think he justified it and only two players scored more goals than, than him at the World Cup and that was Messi and Mbappe and if you do that, you, you're not doing too badly and he, he's one of those players, if City hadn't signed him and he was still at River Plate, every club in Europe would be lining up to sign him for 50, 60 million. So the fact that City got him for 14 million and he's on a long-term contract, they'll uh, they'll be absolutely buzzing with that and yeah, I mean, he's, he's going to come back not just as a, a backup striker, he's going to come back as a World Cup winner who's shown he can do it on the biggest stage and is then going to probably not demand because he doesn't seem like that kind of player, but he's he would be justified in saying, listen, I I should be starting here. So I think maybe it will be City will have to find a way of playing him and Haaland in the same lineup. I don't think that'll be hard. They've done it before. They've played Alves behind Haaland. Uh, Alves played on the wing for Argentina and could do that again. Um, but yeah, I think that the fact that City's backup striker has just gone and won the World Cup and played so well, they can now use that to their advantage and, and try and integrate him and just have another option in their wealth of attacking options. Does it pose a bit of a problem to City, whereas you've got this player now who, as you say, rightly say, can justifiably... like. It's not a Jesus situation, I don't think, where Jesus, who comparatively at his age, while obviously a brilliant talent, hadn't really done much in the game when he arrived at City and was clearly behind Aguero and was kind of billed as the, the heir to Aguero and had to wait and bide his time. I don't, And he was really patient in doing so, you know, five, four or five years he spent doing it and did it with grace and whenever he was asked about it on like international breaks when sometimes or when players go um, abroad with their national teams they kind of forget that Google Translate exists I think and uh, and the internet and just say whatever they want and they can backfire a few times but Jesus regardless always said I'm behind an absolute legend here I have to bide my time and take my chances when I get them and you know he was a brilliant servant for City in that time but never quite lived up to that I, I think with Alvarez I say I think a brilliant character and speak very humble and speaks brilliantly whenever asked but you, you get the impression that he he's already done so much he doesn't have to wait and bide his time I don't think as in if a big team you know Real Madrid comes in he, he could start for Real Madrid and whatnot does it give City as you say does it put City in a bit of a problem where if he doesn't play as much he might be thinking why don't I just go to a team a Barcelona or Juventus or whatever where I will play every week I, no I'm not saying that's it that's what he would do or that's his character but you know, judging on the history of footballers, they want to play football, understandably. And he, more than more, you know, starving striker in an Argentina World Cup winning side, he's going to want to play. And does it does it pose a bit of a question, a bit of a problem for City? Because obviously, their striker is Erling Haaland, and you you don't take him out. So is it a four four two? Does Alvarez play wide? What do you think? It's a bit of an issue. Or do you think it's something that'll easily be resolved? Well, we've sort of been posing that question and see asking how do you integrate Alvarez now as a f- first eleven player rather than a, a an alternative to Haaland. And then we see Haaland play as well as he did against Liverpool and sort of send a message to be like, no, I'm I'm still the main man. Um, I think it's a good problem to have. It is a problem because Alvarez will return a different player, whether he tries to be or not. I think he will always be gracious and, and play his part. And I, the one thing about City is that every player if you play well, we'll get their chance and Guardiola will rotate. And the only times where you might be disappointed is the finals where Silverware's up for grabs. Aside from that, he will get his chance. And City have looked good when, when Alvarez has played behind Haaland, so they can play together. From the start, Guardiola has said that 
he wants to play them together and he expects that they'll be able to do it. Um, so I think it will just give City another option and maybe relieve a bit of pressure on the midfield, even if, if Alves is playing that sort of number 10 centre-forward role. You don't have to sort of rely on Rodri and Gundogan and, and De Bruyne as much who will be required to play a lot of games so they've got to use it as a positive but if as you say in a couple of years time Alvarez just isn't getting the game time he wants and he's still scoring goals for Argentina and and, and everything in, in, in that if his trajectory continues to rise as it will then City have shown that in the transfer market they're not going to stand in someone's way if they want to leave and also they're going to get a lot of money. Just look at Ferran Torres, who was looking like he was going to be very important for City and a, a really good prospect. They signed him for twenty one million, sold him for fifty five. They didn't let him go for anything less than than he was worth, and made a big profit on him. So I, th- I think it's a win win situation for City with that. But the the bigger win of those two options would be to keep Alvarez and and find a way for for him and Haaland to both both play in the same team and both score a lot of goals. Absolutely, you know, and you know, kind of away from City, the final itself, uh, an absolutely astonishing match. Um, I, even when it was just 2 0 to Argentina and they were dominating cruising, I was really enjoying it. It'd been better than the nervy, narrow affairs that we'd seen over the last three tournaments. Um, but for it to kind of blow to life like that, um, and the, the tops and turves, Messi giving the ball away in the build up to the Mbappe equaliser, only for him to go and redeem himself in the match to get the third, only then for a dodgy handball to be given for the penalty. The Martinez uh, bleep hosiery, the, the the celebration of him with the trophy after the goalkeeper glove afterwards, all of it was just the most just utter lunacy of a match. Uh, certainly the best World Cup final, of well, the best probably the best match of my lifetime. You know, recency bias aside, it was. The, the drama, the story, the, the skill, the quality of you know, the world's two best players going nose to nose, head to head, neither of them relenting, neither of them making, you know, apart from Messi losing that ball there, but you know, neither of them kind of missing the penalty, neither of them could be blamed. You know, Mbappe can't be blamed for France's mm-hmm. loss whatsoever. They'd have lost quite comfortably if it wasn't for him. Um, he's 23 and is like three or four goals off being the top World Cup scorer of all time. I think he's going to set a bar that will never be reached in that regard. Just... What what a match! Which you know, I don't think it. Um, I think the claims of this being the best World Cup ever are far from the mark. It certainly came to life a bit from the group stage, the, the last round of the group stage. I don't think the quarterfinals were that good, apart from Morocco getting through. Then, sorry, the last sixteen, the quarterfinals onwards were obviously full of drama. And Argentina and Netherlands great as well. Far from the best World Cup ever, in my opinion. Um, I I I prefer. I thought twenty eighteen was probably a better one from start to finish. But in terms of the final, um, and you know, not to not to let that kind of take away from all the the negative aspects of Qatar as well, of course. But what what a what a match! Yeah, well, I I was biased because I wanted Messi to, to lift the World Cup. I think it would cap off a, a an incredible career, and he he is a player who deserved a World Cup. And when Argentina came out the blocks and scored twice, I was thinking, well, he he's got it in the bag, and it might not be the best final, but. Messi will win the World Cup and he will have played a starring role in doing it. And then France came back and, and Mbappe just turned things around and Deschamps made those changes just before half-time. And yeah, as as much as I think Argentina were the, were the better side, then France deserved credit for coming back into the game. But yeah, I, I think it's it's absolutely right that Lionel Messi will retire having won the World Cup and, and the best player at the World Cup. And 
France's time will come again. Mm-hmm. Mbappe has won one World Cup already. As you say, if he carries on scoring as he does, he'll probably win another um, in his career. And yeah, it was, it was just a, a fantastic game. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that that is how football games should be played. We, we don't. We've seen the finals where it's, it goes to extra time and penalties, where it's one nil, nil nil. It's it's boring, isn't it? Like you want to see the top teams going at it, and and they did exactly that, and it, mm-hmm. yeah, it was fantastic to watch. Absolutely, I mean, it's just a shame that even to the last, they couldn't just let it lie. Uh, Infantino mm-hmm. and uh, the Qatari and there, or whoever he was, kind of had to get their had to get their stick in one last time. Just make sure <laughs> leave a sour taste in the mouth, but you know, at least the, the right man won in the end. And, and really quickly, we won't we won't touch, stay too long on England's heartbreak, um, as you know as predictable as it was. Um, nevertheless, still hurts. But Gareth Southgate in staying in as England manager, for me, good decision. Euros in 18 months, reassess after that. Not a big cycle, no obvious replacements. And even though it was a quarter-final exit, they played brilliantly against France, and I'd still say progress is clearly being made. He's making a good, exciting young squad, and he deserves a chance to see it through, despite all the ridiculous criticism he gets between tournaments. Yeah, well, I mean, we said before the tournament, he's a tournament manager, it's a tournament team, and he showed that, again, it was disappointing against France. I think maybe his tactics could have been better, but they played the the team that took the world champions to, to penalties. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm less disappointed, especially on in hindsight, uh, at how England went out. I think they went out in the right way this time. Um, I think there's a lot of progress being made. A lot of players like Rashford, Saka... Maguire, Pickford have either rediscovered form or made a lot of progress. Bellingham's come through. Um, I think Southgate has earned the right to have one more tournament with those players with an extra 18 months under the belt. One more chance with Kane firing in all the goals. Um, and on the other hand, who who else is there to take over? Maybe in 18 months, there will be some, some more realistic English managers who can take over. But for now, yeah, I think it's the right decision all around. And uh, England do have a very good chance at, at the Euros. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to that. Absolutely. And we look forward to coming back next week to talk about City's match with Leeds United. But until then, everybody, this has been the Talking City podcast. Thank you all very much for listening. Sorry we've been away for a couple of weeks, but we are back now. And I reckon we'll be in for quite a ride as the Premier League um, rattles back on. And hopefully uh, some more thrilling football to watch and talk about with you all. Of course, you can also get this podcast now over on our YouTube channel, which is Man City underscore MEN. So please head over there, give it a little like and subscribe. And you can, as I said at the start, you can watch our, our beautiful faces in motion if that uh, if that floats your boat. But until then, everyone, um, well, until next week, I suppose. Thank you all very much for listening once again. We'll see you next week. And uh, Merry Christmas. Hope you all have a good one. Uh, Turn around.